Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Welcome to the Helmet. Look at the long-term player value in fantasy football. I'm your host, Chad Parsons. Katie Flower is here. First show after the NFL draft. We had some live shows on Thursday and Friday nights. Thanks to the subscribers and patrons. We had a great chat room and a great discussion with Jordan McNamara and Tim Torch on those two nights. A really pinnacle moments of the offseason for Dynasty owners coming together. This is the official start of rookie drafting season. I always hearken back to Wedding Crashers where it's wedding season. Uh, You know, as we go forward into to May here. The weather's getting better across the country, and uh, we got drafts and and teams to build uh, with that capital we have accrued in the past. I do want to remind you, sign up at UTHDynasty.com or support the show in lieu of advertising, keeping this clean for Dynasty Talk on a weekly basis for everybody. There's a bunch of premium shows at UTH Dynasty, but also patreon.com slash UTH for bonus content. And the NFL draft always leaves us with a number of presents. The skill position was loaded on round one uh, with a number of players. Almost half the round was skill position players. And one of them uh, was Mr. Kadarius Tony, where he gets a high pedigree here. Uh, it was expected. A lot of the talk was he was going to go in the first round. He did to the Giants. And yet his rookie cost is historically low for a round one wide receiver, sometimes mid-second round, later second round. Point is, be after long after all the other round one wide receivers. So he's going in a zone where you say, if you believe in him, if you're buying the cap draft capital, uh, this is very affordable. Yet you have to be in on the player. And we were pretty much across the board, you included, Katie, that uh, some concerns about Kadarius Tony, some concerns about the landing spot. And that's why he may be a bit of a Fugazi, a bit of an avoid player that you get drawn into, like the swan song, uh, you know, where you're like, oh, it's the mid second round. It's first rounder Kadarius Tony is still around and it sucks you in. Yet uh, one of your points was going to be if you believe in the player, that's fine, but you certainly are not a big fan. Let me just flesh that out a little bit as far as, yes, he got the, the, round one draft capital that we anticipated that he was going to get. But I anticipated he was going to move up on draft boards because of that. Maybe that will happen as we get later on in the season and you get more into, it depends on the mix in your dynasty league. If you're talking to the average Joe that doesn't listen to dynasty Twitter, that doesn't listen to podcasts, they're probably going to draft Kadarius Tony higher than they should. So far, though, I haven't been in leagues, my leagues that have been drafting, plus the ones I see on Twitter. And there's so many other voices on Twitter that are saying the same thing you and I are saying is that he's an avoid player. Everybody with the same message, the message has gotten across. He's been going, you know, late in round two of a super flex. And if, if he does fall there, depending on who else is with him, then he becomes a a decent value. But if you're going to prop him up and move him up, I have seen him in some places where he goes 201 to 204. That is pretty expensive. Think about T Higgins, 
Chase Claypool, those guys were in the 201, 204, 206 range of, of rookie drafts last year. And so I would not bite at that price. Everybody's got their price. And at some point they become a value. My biggest fear was that because this is a very, very weak running back class, I had two fears. I had fears that running backs would be propped up beyond where they should be like Kenneth Gainwell, but Kenneth Gainwell did not get a particularly great landing spot, nor did he get draft capital. So I haven't seen that trend, but Kadarius Tony, he's a guy that is not a great route runner. He's 22 years old. He had a late breakout. He broke out his senior season at Florida. He had some, a lot of people like, well, he was a quarterback in high school and he played running back his first couple of years at Florida. Yeah. And he was also a red flag off the field. He got suspended for things and Florida does not have a high standard when it comes to suspending people. So if they had to suspend him, it had to be something pretty freaking big. All of those question marks, plus seeing him at the senior bowl, he's not a great route runner. He's more of a gadget type guy that needs to be utilized in jet sweeps and reverses and you get him open in space. He's an athlete for sure. But now he's paired with Jason freaking Garrett, the most vanilla play caller, the most vanilla coach that you could ask for. And you expect with Evan Ingram and Saquon Barkley and even uh, Sterling Shepard there that Kadarius Tony's just going to light it up. So I think his price tag will be cheaper next year in most cases rather than top of the second. Just wait. If you miss him, you miss him. But please do not trade up for him. And please do not prioritize him. Yeah, the competition for targets also, I would point out, they just paid uh, Kenny Galladay a decent amount. Sterling Shepard's still there. And yes, Evan Ingram is probably going to be gone in the off, uh, in next offseason, but he's still around. Sequin Barkley comes back. He was a high-volume receiver um, for targets in this passing game as well. So you mix questions at quarterback with Daniel Jones. Is he going to be a distributor of high-end fantasy outcomes? And then you say... Galladay is definitely in their plans. It's not like Tony is is not going to be in the mix, but he strikes you as a low-end number two, probably a number three in the NFL, uh, and just a player that didn't make a lot of sense. And in the projection model, he was the lowest. I'm looking here. I mean, he was the lowest round one wide receiver in at least 15 years here in terms of their his projection score. And Anthony Gonzalez, actually, he's on par with Anthony Gonzalez years and years ago. Kelvin Benjamin, but Kelvin Benjamin was supersized like a tight end. Uh, so he at least got number one work for a little bit while he got into the, uh, you know, early on in the NFL. So, so Kadarius Tony really stands out in that regard. Um, and plus, he doesn't really have the profile of a number one wide receiver. So those are really tough asks for me. And yes, quarterback might change if Daniel Jones doesn't work out over the next one to two seasons. But that means you're resetting. Are they going to a veteran? Are they drafting somebody else? Now there's another question. Mark. So it's not a super stable situation. Like you said, the offensive system and Jason Garrett, how much is that going to really uh, lift and boost the usage so that Tony gets to even 90, 100 targets to get on the viability landscape? Uh, th that's a big, big question mark uh, that that I have coming out of the draft there at, at any price point. And I would also mention in round two of rookie drafts, be super selective because wide receivers are historically the worst bet. Uh, you know, we, we always think in our mind's eye, oh, we're getting some guy that could develop into a top 20, top 25 guy, you know, in dynasty valuation. And then they will have immense value. 
That is true. <laughs> but uh, sharpshooting that they go past all the veterans, all the young players that are already on positive trajectories, number ones for NFL teams, That are those are a number of hurdles that you have to get through. Uh, so I know the reward is high where you think in your, in your, your head, Oh, I'm going to get some guy that's going to be a cornerstone for my team for three, five, seven years. That doesn't happen for even a lot of the good wide receivers. So just keep in mind that the fall off the replacement level, staying healthy, uh, a number of factors have to occur. And frankly, I think people look at their dynasty teams with a little too long of a lens when it's like, I need to have a bunch of 22 year old wide receivers on my roster so that now I can contend for the next five to 10 years where two thirds of your roster is not going to be there, whether it's dropping them, trading them, uh, you know, and basically recycling them in some form uh, two to three years from now, they won't even be on your team. So you may find opportunities to sell them. Uh, you may be dropping them uh, because they fall to such an extent, but just keep that in mind. And so for round two of rookie drafts, um, I, and I really see a clear divide between, you know, once guys that I much prefer, like Rondell Moore or Terrace Marshall, for example, Elijah Moore, these are much better profiles. If you are making a round two, uh, investment in wide receivers, but to be fair, I don't. I haven't gotten a lot of through twelve drafts. I don't have a lot of exposure to the players even I just listed because I, I'm generally using those picks to trade up. I'm generally getting higher probability outcome players and positions earlier in rookie drafts because again, round two wide receivers and what are they you generally getting? You're generally getting day two or early day three wide receivers in that range, either day three wide receivers that landed in a good spot. Who does that sound like? Armand Ross St. Brown this year, as one example. Or you're getting the day two, uh, you know, suboptimals in many cases. I will say, when you get round one wide receivers, aka Rashad Bateman, for example, that drifts to round two, that's historically a much better bet. But again, you're buying a different level of investment for the NFL team. And likewise, you should be, like we were saying with uh, Brandon Ayuk last year, right? Oh, we're getting this rare scenario of this type of profile falling to round two of the of, of, of rookie drafts well the other thing that we had this year we had a big pandemic and that messed with everything that messed with the collegiate game that messed with the nfl game that messed with the preseason and not having rookie camps and it's going to mess with this year's rookie camps although maybe they'll have a little bit more than they had but i call it the senior bowl syndrome you look at the guys that were drafted in round two, the Josh Palmers and the Anthony Schwartz and uh, Amari Rogers and Kadarius Tony. they have one thing in common. The coaches and the scouts got to see them and meet with them in person and talk to them instead of on Zoom. You cannot possibly interview a guy and really get to know him via Zoom. And coaches and, and staffs even said as much. And you look at the guys that were drafted over other guys, like even Nico Collins, he was another guy that was propped up by the senior bowl that you wouldn't normally have in regular years. I think that Rashad Bateman fell a little bit, partly because of that. And even a guy that was at the senior bowl that did fall. And I think it was more because of medical was a guy like Tylen Wallace. And so it really makes it tough for fantasy evaluators, we don't know the whole story, but certainly the NFL doesn't know the whole story and they've admitted as much. And it's more like shotgun approach. Let's get, if we need the position, let's get a couple of guys and let's try to, you know, fill this in and, and do this and we'll wing it. We'll get there. 
but there's a lot of speculation in the air. Yeah, Tyler Wallace is one. I I feel a little bad for. Like I could have seen myself, you know, if he gets day two, and you know, I could see myself having some shares. But I don't think I'm going to have much of any. Uh, the fact that he goes to day three, uh, the fact that he's going, it's affordable for sure. I mean, super flex, you're talking maybe mid third round, maybe venturing to the fourth round I've seen. So that is absolutely affordable. What I would say, though, is how much patience can you have with that roster spot? If you have a big, robust taxi squad, that's a completely different conversation maybe than if you're in your stock 28, 25, 30-man rosters where you're going to get to the season and you're going to have some ancillary wide receiver and yet you're going to break ties for him because you drafted him. So that's a really tough scenario and I would caution folks against that. You're talking Tylen Wallace who he has had you know some, some medical flag situations to his profile, but also... I mean, he has two round one guys on that depth chart. You have questions still about the passing development. They've kind of talked him up a little bit in the past few days. Oh, we're going to open up this offense. We, you know, we're going to give him some weapons. We will see if Lamar Jackson at his best is actually capable of that in the NFL or if what we've seen so far is sort of best case Lamar Jackson. This is the way to optimize him, which I applaud Baltimore for using him in that way and having as much success team-wise as they have had with him. But they, he does not have a new contract. He is a pivot, one of these pivotal players of, are they going to back up the Brink truck and pay him as opposed to uh, something that I, I've talked with, with folks before that I wonder if we get into an environment with guys like Lamar Jackson, if you just get your five years out of them and let them go or franchise them for one more year if things are on the right track. But you don't have long-term Patrick Mahomesian type allegiance and confidence that he's your guy uh, in terms of passing game. And, and that's the thing that stabilizes you. So anyway, back to back to Tyler Wallace, though. I mean, he's affordable, but frankly, should be. And he could be a roster albatross. And you have to be very, very careful about spending later picks because those are the ones that are going to be very close, more so than your second round pick, your first round picks, to being close to that that waiver cut line in, in the regular season. So you draft it on some wide receiver. I mean, the, the absolute best case would be what? There's an injury ahead of him on the depth chart. And he's in the top three rotation to start the season. And that's if he's healthy, producing well, d- did well, everything he needed to do in the preseason. And now you finally got, da, 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 you've got an ancillary wide receiver that's unstartable in, in your dynasty, uh, dynasty team. Congratulations. And that's the best case scenario in 90 something percent of cases with that third, fourth rounder rookie pick that you just used on Tylen Wallace, et cetera. That's a best case outcome that you didn't waste it egregiously and cut the guy in in, uh, August, September uh, automatically. And then you just flush your pick, which you might as well have just traded it for a future pick if you're going to do that. Yeah. And one of the hardest things for dynasty owners when they, especially if they play Debbie and you see a guy like Tylen Wallace, you think of him as, a really good player. And let's face it, wide receivers that are really good are a dime a dozen. The ones that make it in the NFL, either it's because of the work ethic or the right opportunity at the right time, everything gels. Look at Jalen Strong from several years ago. I mean, he was a talented guy. He didn't get along with the Houston coaching staff. Sounds like nobody does. And, and he's gone. The opportunity came and went at a blink of an eye. And there's somebody, there's always going to be somebody right there behind you to take your job. So it's the same thing with dynasty. When, when you have to shift your thinking pre-draft, 
I had Tylen Wallace here in my rankings or here, but he didn't get the draft capital, but you still just don't want to let that slip. And, and you don't want it's like, but he's a good player and he's a good guy. And I really like him. And I saw him at Oklahoma state and all this. Hakeem Butler syndrome. Exactly. I mean, you just have to, it's, it's like Jack at the Titanic. You <laughs> just, just gotta let him go. Just let go. Just Jack. let him, let him let, go. Let like, go. Let him become an ice cube. The, Sorry, it's the so frozen, cold. The I'm, frozen I'm hand. So push, cold. Him, push him under the water. That's that's right. Like, move on. What's the next? Exactly. So, it was a fun ride. Yeah, exactly. When we were but on Jack, the boat. Just, things were great. <laughs> yeah, just didn't cut it right now. But anyway, uh, don't well, let don't let Jack bring you down with the ship. Like, if you're sitting there on an ice flow. And you're going to go down the water. Don't let, Jack, stay up above. Don't let exactly. Jack bring you in. Don't you let him bring you in. Well, you ice. mentioned being propped up by situation. So let's go to the flip side. We've got a Monroe sure. St. Brown, for example. He is one of those day three wide receivers getting a little bit of love because he is going firmly ahead of Tylen Wallace uh, by a decent amount. Sometimes he's, I would say a decent amount of time. He's going in the top 20, 25 of drafts. So it's viewed as open. In Detroit, he goes there. He did have a good profile. He didn't have much pre-draft fanfare or discussion coming out of USC. I know saying USC wide receiver kind of already you know gets people to kind of tighten up, tense up with some of their Devi investments or rookie investments uh, with, with said prospects uh, over recent years. But with, with Amon Ross St. Brown, is he going to be one that people go towards, again, in a position where it's very difficult, uh, but we have seen it happen where there's no one around and they're going to start getting targets. Uh, is there profit potential if you take a mid to late second on Amon Ross A. Brown? I think he should go mid to late second, but I think that if it's a non-super flex, he is one of those guys that because of his landing spot is being moved up. The other one is Amari Rogers, and you knew that it had to be somebody. Somebody's got to move up. It wasn't Kadarius Tony. Okay, Good. If you can get Kadarius Tony at a discount later and you want to take a chance on him, fine. But now the ones that are being moved up are Amon Ross, Ross St. Brown and Amari Rogers. And I look at Amari Rogers and I think of Zay Jones. I love Zay Jones at the Senior Bowl. He had a he was a great route runner. He had very good hands. He was right there with Cooper Cup. What's the difference between him and Cooper Cup? He landed, Cooper Cup landed in a great spot that utilized his skill set. He had that early opportunity. Zay Jones blew it or didn't have the right timing. I mean, right now, as skilled as he is, he, he is very skilled. He's just another wide receiver on the Raiders. Amari Rogers is the same type of guy. He was a five-star prospect coming out of high school. He went to Clemson, big high name in Debbie, didn't get the production. People made, you know, well, he did this, but he's thick as a steak and he's got the build and everything and Clemson moniker for the wide receiver factory. He didn't really start producing until this year. He is a great route runner. He does get separation. He is a jackknife. And now he's, with Aaron Rodgers for at least 30 more minutes until they trade him or he quits and goes and becomes a host of Jeopardy or whatever the heck he's going to do. I don't think he's going to retire, by the way. But all that being said, guys like Amari Rodgers and Amon Ross St. Brown are a dime a dozen. Wide receivers are a dime a dozen. 
talented guys that if they are not wide receiver one or wide receiver two fantasy wise, you spit them out, you move on and you get somebody else. Not everybody's a Terry McLaurin. Not everybody is a Stefan Diggs. And if you're constantly trying to chase that and that's what you're, you know, you're banking on, you're going to be disappointed. Now I will say this. If you got your pick organically at 206 and you want to take a crapshoot on Amari Rogers or Amon Ross St. Brown, more power to you. That's great. Just don't trade up to 206 and give away future capital or give away an asset plus a, a later. Your later dart throws are just the same as those mid-second round dart throws. They're a dart throw. Yeah, you want to stake your claim, but to say that one is better than the other and you're going to give away something to bet on that, ugh, that gets dicey. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's buying on credit. That's cashing in, you know, just other things that don't hold a roster spot yet. That's the other thing. I think people don't appreciate the roster spot value of, 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 of players and picks because the picks, even if they're two rounds from now, you don't have to decide. You might be trading a pick away. You might be trading for a player uh, by that point in time. Uh, and the future picks, absolutely, because you can have 20 of those or zero of those, and it all affects your current roster the exact same, which is you have 25 or 28 of them. And it's almost like a free taxi squad where the player hasn't been declared yet. Um, I have been trading up quite a bit uh, in rookie drafts. I think I did 12 trades and many of them were trade-ups and I had 12 drafts going on uh, in the last two days. And a big reason for that, and I want to emphasize this point, and most people that make trades, trade-ups in rookie drafts are probably thinking this in line, but make sure you're getting bang for your buck with trading up with new tiers. Um, and I have smaller tiers this year. That's just the way it worked out uh, in some classes. But jumping multiple tiers, you know, means you know I'm willing to give up two second round picks to get into the first round and getting a certain target player. It's very specific, and I kind of knew it going into the draft. But when you have a good sense of of ADP, when you have a good sense of here's what I, I can expect at this spot. So when you trade the secondary piece away, that's 206 or 204, whatever it is, 210, you have a general idea, a working knowledge of what player will be there or what the best case is. And frankly, this year, it's a lot of wide receiver. And wide receiver in round two of rookie drafts is is the worst positional bet out there. That if it's start one, quarterback, quarterbacks are generally very good. Why? You're getting guys that are drafted highly in the first round. They're going to get plenty of chances, and they probably are very good. Day two wide receivers, we had like 10 of them this year, dime a dozen. Some of them good profiles, some of them not so good profiles. But not many elite profiles is what I would say. Terrace Marshall, pretty elite profile. Elijah Moore, elite profile. Rondell Moore, elite profile. And again, I don't throw that word elite around very often. They are rare. They don't come around very often. Uh, so those would be the exceptions. Now, they're going earlier. So if you're looking, you know, maybe Terrace Marshall is out there uh, as one example in the mid-second round, later second round on occasion. But using those as a utility and not using the future picks. So I'm using... For example, 208 this year to move up uh, with a future with an earlier pick instead of a future pick. That future pick, for whatever I think about my team, could be 201, could be 212. And we don't know the players involved, and we don't know what position. We know nothing else. We just know that it's a future second-round pick 
you know, it's a dart throw of what that will mean 12 months from now, but it certainly is being undervalued. So instead of using that, I would rather use, hey, I know this class. I know the players I'm looking at. I know that it's not much love loss for me trading away 208, 210, whatever it is, because I know I'm looking at Kadarius Tony, or I'm looking at Amon Ross St. Brown, or Kenny Gainwell, or Diami Brown, or just fill in the blank of what player spectrum is going to be in that zone. I know that. So therefore, it's a lot more of a known commodity for making a two-for-one type trade or you know, I'm getting a third back or a fourth back this year or something like that. I know what I'm getting into where if you're trading a future pick or like you mentioned, if you're trading up for profiles like, oh, well, let me trade 210 and my third round pick to get to 207 because I really want a Monroe St. Brown, that is a very questionable process. Could it work out? Could it be the perfect storm? Yes. But historically speaking, you don't get some big run up and it's like, man, I didn't get in on the ground floor of some day three wide receiver that just ran with the job. And now it's clearly worth a first round pick. Well, and here's another idea. And I've been saying this for months. This is a very, very, very weak running back class. Top heavy, three guys. That's it. Maybe four. And the rest if you try to move them up or prop them up or your league mates want to move them up or prop them up, and that's where you can take advantage. For example, if I'm looking at the 202 to 204 range and Rashad Bateman is gone, rather than take a running back, I'm going to try to trade that pick and maybe add a little bit for A.J. Dillon, somebody that we loved last year. It's about the same price as you would have bought him for last year, but in a much worse class. So look to last year's depressed assets, guys like Jalen Rager, Jerry Judy, and AJ Dillon. Those are three guys that I can think of that I would be using my second round assets to try to add a little something, something to while super uber Kadarius Tony is on the board or Amon Ross St. Brown or Amari Rogers. Somebody's got the hots for them because of the landing spot trade for last year's depressed assets and save yourself some money. One of my most enjoyable, just sit back and, uh, and listen to Katie go during the live shows was uh, a couple different times. You talked about super flex dress and you talked about the quarterback position. We saw them go early. Mac Jones drifted to the Patriots at 15 and Justin, uh, Justin Fields was a trade up, but we had three picks and three quarterbacks to start the draft. And a lot of times, you know, the early ADP is in Superflex and especially in two quarterback, three quarterbacks and three picks uh, to start the draft. Maybe you get a rogue pick, but the most likely outcome independent of, you know, team need and specific owners is again, three in a row to start. Zach Wilson is not far behind and Mac Jones is the one. If one does Mac Jones is the one to drift. Now that you've had, you know, two, three days, uh, since the draft, uh, you've seen some rookie drafts ongoing in a variety of formats. What's kind of your refined, big, quote unquote, big five quarterback thoughts? Okay. So the craziest thing that I've ever seen is happening this year, Chad. And pre-NFL draft, I participated in between 50 and 100 mock drafts with industry people, with industry people. And I also had three or four of my own actual rookie drafts pre-NFL. And the trend that I saw 
in Superflex was that all five quarterbacks were going one, two, three, four, five, or one, two, three, five, seven, or one, two, three, five, six, but they were not that far apart. And I mentioned this on the night of the draft, that if you have a super flex rookie draft and all five quarterbacks go one through five, you're basically paying the one-on-one for the, whoever that fifth guy is. I don't care if it's Mac Jones or Trey Lance, you're paying the same price as the guy that paid for Trevor Lawrence, but you're assuming a much higher risk on average, only two quarterbacks per year, make it, in fantasy relevance beyond, and even in NFL relevance to a certain degree, beyond the rookie contract. You know, somebody told me yesterday or today that Joe Burrow is proven now. He's out of the woods. Well, Baker Mayfield wasn't out of the woods. Carson Wentz, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota. Like these guys had decent rookie seasons, but they weren't out of the woods for another two or three seasons. Josh Rosen was one of those exceptions where he just tanked right from the beginning. But Blake Bortles was another who he was pretty fantasy relevant and then gone just like that. So now what I'm seeing is separation after the NFL. Now we're getting some separation, but it's the most insane separation I've ever seen. Trevor Lawrence is in fact going one. Trey Lance is usually going number two, maybe Kyle Pitts or Najee Harris or Jamar Chase is number three. And then maybe one of the others is number four. Justin Fields, somewhere around the sixth range. Zach Wilson has the exact landing spot that we all expected. Drafted number two. So he has the draft capital everybody expected. He has the landing spot that everybody expected. And instead of going number two or three, where he has been going pre-NFL draft, he's sliding to 7 to 10. 7 to 10. They put weapons around him. They, they built, they got one of the best offensive linemen early. They added Michael Carter. They added uh, Elijah Moore. And then on top of that, he is the most projectable starter. More so than Mac Jones, more so than Trey Lance, and more so than Justin Fields. And yet now he is sliding and is a discount. Tell me how that is even possible. So if you're listening, I mean, obviously you're listening because you're hearing me rant, but the whole point is you can get Zach Wilson now or Mac Jones. Mac Jones was always going to be the discount unless he went to San Francisco at three. We figured he, they weren't trading up for him. He was just kind of in that mix. But now with the Patriots, they got Cam Newton in front of them. So the two discounts are Zach Wilson and Mac Jones. And I'll take those discounts all day. Yeah. I, to be fair, the only shares I've gotten have been Mac Jones uh, because he's going distant. I mean, the fact that in Superflex, we say this before, it happened with Josh Allen. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else it happened with. But when they, Daniel drift, Jones, when they, when uh, they, yeah, when they drift to the very late first, if not the second round of Superflex, second. they have the stink. And yet they still have top half round one pedigree. And like you said, I mean, the, the talk was Mac Jones, you know, San Francisco or bust. And the bust was he's going to slip a little bit. And he did. And the Bears traded up and it wasn't for Mac Jones. And, but landing with Bill Belichick, I remember we talked about this. You know, this is not a bad landing spot at all. I mean, he's going to walk into a situation that, you know, he's going to start this year. 
at, at some point. And um, it, these weapons can only get better. You know, they signed Hunter Henry, John U. Smith, very friendly targets for a quarterback. The wide receivers have a lot to be desired. Don't pretend like the wide receivers on the roster right now are going to be the only ones, uh, you know, between now and next offseason when they probably do some real work, you know, that they address tight end. Now they're, you know, but they're going to bring somebody in notable uh, 12 months from now. I, I would be surprised if they didn't. So, uh, so we will see. Uh, but, but again, I think you're starting from the ground up and you're starting with a, a capable quarterback that can run NFL offenses. And I love what you said about uh, Zach Wilson. I haven't come up with many shares. I will say uh, in a two quarter, the only two quarterback league I've done so far uh, for their rookie draft quarterbacks went one through five straight down the board one through five and i thought of you every pick that came in i was like is this one when the third one went quarterback it's a shallow roster i get it you want to have you know like three or four just really tight quarterbacks i get all that but i also know it's so shallow that pretty much no backups can be rostered for very long like in season like you might be able to have one guy uh on some rosters you take a shot uh maybe if the guy's you know a little iffy uh for the week or whatever so but but I was able to get Ryan Fitzpatrick for free last season. And I remember you talked me through that scenario. Like, oh, you know, I wanted to make some, you know, potentially make some trade. I, I might make the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I got to the playoff I, or I just missed it. I can't remember which it was. But I was right there and I was getting a zero like one or two weeks. But I also had Mariota got a spot start. I was able to get him. Like, you can find backups. So there's two quarterback, like, oh, you have to have four starting quarterbacks or you stink. Uh, I just want to demystify that right away. If you can have backups, if it is a ro- uh, a roster size that is amicable to having a few guys like that, that's really where the dividends are. Get the capable guys that aren't gonna uh, that aren't gonna you know bleep themselves get into the game. You know, Joe Flacco, for example. You may not think he has big upside. He's a functional NFL quarterback, and if he's on the scrap heap, he's someone at least more than uh, somebody else that has never really played. Uh, it's a complete projection. Like, for example, I saw uh, that technically right now, Ryan Griffin might be the backup in Tampa Bay. I mean, yes, Trask is probably going to end up. Yeah, but the point is someone like Ryan Griffin, he hasn't played. He's thrown four passes in like eight years. So like the, the, this, the, he's a complete unknown. It could be horrific if he actually had to get into a game. And so why, you know, Joe Flacco and these other types, these retreads are the ones. So I just... The, the fact that people gravitate towards these quarterbacks so heavily when you have round one running backs and you have, you, you know, you have Jamar Chase, for example, you have Kyle Pitts. I mean, I'm not saying you have to say I'm not drafting quarterback no matter what. That's not my take. But when they start going, you know, straight down the line, that makes those mid first highly valuable. I was able to get some really nice deals on guys like Najee Harris and, and Jamar Chase, for example, in the mid first in these super flex leagues because quarterbacks are going so highly at the top and there is risk attached. I mean, we're seeing with a number, you always say, you know, basically two of every class are going to persevere and basically be cornerstone guys for their team. And they still may have debatable what's their upside fantasy implications attached to that role. Not every quarterback has been a straight to the Phoenix level, you know, Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert through one year, sort of like they're highly fantasy relevant, uh, despite being an NFL an NFL starter. There's varying degrees of NFL success versus fantasy and dynasty success. 
Right. But even just a few years ago, Carson Wentz was right there. He was an MVP caliber fantasy quarterback. He was after one year, he was deemed a stud and he was going in the early first mid, you know, early uh, mid first to early second round in startup drafts. And now people are avoiding him like the plague. I think he will have a resurgence potentially in Indianapolis. And like Ryan Tannehill, sometimes mo- a lot of quarterbacks, it takes till you're 27 to 29 before you really start to come into your own. There's so much to learn when you first get to the NFL. Carson Wentz was a first round pick. It was between him and Jared Goff. And then it was Jameis Winston and Mariota the year before. And it was Mitch Trubisky. And, uh, you know, he was moved up for ahead of Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. So it isn't always the first quarterback off the board, and it's not always the second quarterback off the board. And yeah, you've got to have, to a certain degree, a little bit of patience. But my philosophy has been, while the young quarterback is the shiny gold toy, like Joe Burrow was last year, trade him for that unsexy Matt Stafford plus and shore up your team. And then you don't have to worry about the highs and lows of the rookie contract. And people are like, well, what if I miss out on the next Patrick Mahomes? Do you know how rare that is? Right. Yeah, I will will say what you just said is a microcosm of so many dynasty owners that sit there and trading away their 105 pick or 206 or whatever it is, is so tough for them. Because they see it as the, what if I miss out? What if the guy I would take right here pulls an Odell Beckham or pulls a Patrick Mahomes or pulls uh, you know some running back that is just going to, you know, J- <laughs> I almost said it 12 months ago, but you know, James Robinson, for example, you know, that you can hit from anywhere and you can hit big and right away. And if that occurs, them trading that pick away for like, if they trade 201 away for Robert Woods, they're going to be like, oh, well, this is me copping out. Like, I'm not actually putting my uh, dynasty team on the line by making a pick for an incoming rookie. You know, I've never said you have to make every single pick you make, you know, every single pick you have. And, you know, that it has to be a rookie uh, making trades. Uh, but you can you can use that to trade up. You know, I, I saw someone in Superflex trade a mid first for Deshaun Watson. Like, uh, again, look at what you're getting. You're getting a guy that you know can hang. He's already gotten through so many barriers at the NFL level of can you play to the point of monster contract, multiple high-end seasons, and uh, again, off-season precluded, which I, I again, I think 12 months from now, you're going to look back and everything's going to be okay from the dynasty perspective of he's playing and projected to play for my team and probably a different NFL team. Um uh, other than that, Katie, uh, so we've talked about a lot. We've talked some macro things. We talked about a few players. Who do you need to put on a soapbox? Of Obviously, we've got future weeks, and, and May is pretty much rookie drafting month, not that they stop at the end of this month. So we're going to be talking about a lot of these various storylines, but something that from this weekend, uh, from the changing landscape or rookie draft, draft centric that you want to include in your final thoughts here. I just want to remind Anybody that's heading into their rookie draft, especially if you've got multiple leagues, multiple teams, always double check your scoring. 
Every league is a little bit different. You may forget that on this one, I've got 1.75 PPR for tight end or that I've got 0.25 per first down for, for rushing first downs. That is significant when making trades, when selecting a between two players. The draft board is fluid and be, be, be flexible based on if you need to start five wide receivers, well, then guess what? You need to be deep at wide receiver. But if you only need if you need to start between one and seven or one and seven running backs or one and seven tight ends, that changes everything. You just want best player available of every single position because it doesn't matter at that point what position. Know your scoring formats, reevaluate that part and go for best player available based on your league format in, in your trades, in your decisions on who you draft and look for the guys who have been marginalized versus those who have been lifted up. Some guys will fade like Rashad Bateman is being faded a little bit to get a, enough of a discount. You can get him in early round two. He's not moving up because he landed in Baltimore. And a lot of people don't believe in the volume there. But like Alan Robinson, the first guy that I ever said this about, and I thought about this the other morning when I opened a brand new half gallon of half and half, and I started pouring it in my coffee and it, it for some reason wasn't pouring. I poked the top. There was about a quarter inch of cream. And I said, ah, cream rises to the top, just like Alan Robinson. And that, that was my immediate first thought. So it's, it's the same thing. Rashad Bateman is this year's cream. He's being marginalized. Take him at that discount. Take players at a discount. Take players organically. If you've got the 206 and you want to splurge on a player, that's fine. That's completely different from trading up to the 206. If you're going to trade up to the 206, you might as well trade up to the 106 and get your March Chase. <laughs> right. Exactly. Go all the way. If you're going to consolidate, consolidate at the high end. Right? Don't consolidate, oh, 210, 306, and 406, so I can move to 206 and take a Monroe St. Brown, like, you know, or, or Kadarius Tony. Like, do it in a worthwhile, yeah, like you said, like, let me go up. Let me get way up there. Um, my final thought is going to be centric to the macro view of your team that I have really become a connoisseur of you need to blend your selection of players, and that can be the type of player, it could be the position that you take and the relative runway that's going to take generally for those players to get up to speed and be and feel like you got some return on investment for your picks. So if it's a shallow league, I define shallow as to me now 25 seems pretty shallow, 25 and under that you got to know yourself. I am really active in the in the waiver wire. That's my thing. I'm going to have a few spots that I pretty much churn and burn and I'm looking for running backs. I might be looking for streamers at tight end. If it's super flex, I'm going to be interested in the backups, like all these types of things. I know that about me. Other folks I know aren't very active in the waiver wire at all. They drafted their guys. They want to cultivate those players. They still like them and they're not going to move off of them in that first season and maybe even going into the second season. Those are two perfectly okay approaches, but know which one you are because I do think it should drive what kind of picks you make. So me knowing that, here's one a good example. There's been a couple times in, you know, I'm looking at my, my draft board and there, there's times where in the later second round, 
Pat Fryermuth is the best player, the best player available to me uh, based on how I would value them. Now, here's the rub, though. It's a relatively shallow format. And so a tight end is a slow-moving position. Now, what does Pat Fryermuth do for me as a rookie this entire rookie season? It is very likely I draft him. I think I'm very smart. I went towards a position that is valuable, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, they strong pedigree generally works out to some degree in terms of a floor within, you know, three or four seasons. No one's holding in a 25 man roster a second, you know, Pat Fryermuth for four seasons, waiting for some payoff. So there may be an okay starter in your league. Maybe. So I know this. I can't take him. I just can't take him. I would rather miss early and miss, you know, miss aggressively by taking a shot. Is that a backup running back like Chuba Hubbard? Is that someone that, again, maybe you hit lightning in a bottle with Nico Collins or Amon Ross St. Brown? Or, uh, again, in, in start one, you should take one of these quarterbacks. You should know relatively early are they going to be a dynamo rushing? Or do they look like they have it? Are there signs of promise? Could they be one of your top two quarterbacks? Could you trade somebody off off your roster? Know all of these things, and I feel like it tells you something as you go through. So again, if you have deep rosters, maybe you take more of these wide receivers. Katie said, know your format. All of these things that know yourself, know your tendency, how sticky you're going to be with these roster spots, and for how long. For me, you know, I'm going to take you know running backs. I'm going to take some guys that uh, I want clarity right away. You know, hopefully we're not burning late second, third round picks like candy all the time. But if they don't work out, so be it. I'm going to move on in August and September to a running back that's an injury away. So it's no problem. It's no problem if I, you know, I'm just selecting here. Like, let's say I took a shot on, you know, Jermar Jefferson, you know, in the fourth round. And it's like, well, you know, if he's clearly the number three back in October, yeah, I'm probably moving on from that spot, you know, unless I saw something in the preseason. I really think there's some some developmental stuff here. So that's just one example. Like I, I'm more willing to use it in that way than you know. Let me take. Uh, let me choose another longer range example. Oh, let me take uh, Anthony Schwartz. You know, he's buried. He's buried in Cleveland. How does that look? You know, is he getting any you know anything but spot touches? You know, for most of the year or all the year. You're really holding that roster spot. So just, just know yourself. If you are going to hold that roster spot, I would be or, more open to longer range players going into year two. But if it's going to be in that tight, you know, sub 28, sub 25 man rosters, just be very careful because the last thing you want to do is draft something in the second round and really nothing's happened. Nothing unexpected has happened. And yet you're, you really, really September 18th want to move on from them because they're sitting as one of the last roster spots for you. You knew that back in May, and yet here they sit, your wide receiver eight, and they're doing nothing. Their wide receiver three or four on their depth chart. It means nothing, and you're sitting there, and you really want to pick up somebody else. But you won't do it because you drafted him at 210. And that's the, that's the biggest mistake, I would say. The, like I would say in that situation, you cut them, learn your lesson, don't do it again, but then the fact that some people compound it and all year they hold that player, even though they've wanted to pick up last year, Mike Davis, they wanted to pick up said backup running back and they won't do it because they view it as just complete gutting themselves of a round two rookie pick 
that they spent. The problem was the round two rookie pick you spent, not the fact that you want to move on from some completely ancillary wide receiver midseason that's projected to have minimal upside uh, you know, for whatever you're expecting. So don't compound the mistake is what I would say. Uh, so for Katie Flower, uh, you can find her on Twitter at FF underscore Skyler 399. We usually get some new listeners here after the NFL draft. Much appreciated. Uh, and uh, again, review us and, and rate us on any of the podcasting platforms. That obviously helps us as well. Kick the tires, money back guarantee over at UTHDynasty.com. You like this show, uh, get 250 plus more premium shows now available on all your podcasting devices mobily. Um, so uh, again, a lot of benefits there. You get a trade calculator preview uh, with your sign up, as well as written content, rankings, everything you need to have your best dynasty season yet. And in lieu of advertising, patreon.com slash UTH. You can find more bonus content as well as getting advertising never on these airwaves for five minutes at a time in these shows. So for Katie Flower, myself, Chad Parsons, until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those dynasties. <laughs>